1: Love Talk Radio. Happy Wednesday, everybody! You've tuned in to Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for your listen and your continued support for the show. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I'm committed to bringing you the very best in natural medicine. And I can confidently include tonight in that statement. We have a very fabulous guest joining us tonight. If you'd like to listen to any of the past shows, I've had some questions about that. Like, do I have to listen live? And the answer is no, you don't. You can listen to the past shows. No big deal. All the archived shows are found on iTunes. So just open up iTunes, go to the podcast directory, um, type in Dr. Low Radio, and you'll find all of the previous shows. Let's see here. What? announcements do I have for you tonight? I have become an official blogger. The fabulous trainer Jenna Phillips, celeb- uh, celebrity trainer up in LA. Um, she's created Mission Impossible. She has asked me to be a weekly blogger on her show, and I, or on her website, I should say, and I've kindly accepted. I've been uh, blogging on a weekly basis for her 30 Day Skinny Jeans Challenge, which is a, a paleo diet program uh, for a, a month. People have taken their photos before and after and seen, you know, who has made the most progress, and it's, it's been great. People have ha- been having great success with that, and they also feel really good, too. It's amazing what happens when you make your diet more anti-inflammatory so people feel good and they're losing inches and so it's been a really cool event everybody's doing together um, but I will be continuing to blog for her so you can see my blogs on JennaPhillips.com if you are following me on Facebook and Twitter awesome you can um, ask questions on there Facebook.com slash D-R-L-O-N-O-E-L that's Dr. Low Noel Twitter.com slash DrLauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, Noel, N-O-E-L, and as well as my website, DrLaurenNoel.com. let see here if I have any more announcements for you. Next week's show, I will have um, a a functional chiropractic neurologist. So it's a mouthful. It will be Dr. Michael Pierce joining us. It's next Tuesday, May 24th at 5 p.m., the typical time. Uh, Tonight we're actually doing kind of a funky schedule just so we could accommodate our fabulous guests. And next week will be a Tuesday night at 5 p.m. And the topic is neuroendocrine immune access. So it's a very long-term. Basically, it's the how your uh, neurology and your hormones and your immune system play together because it's a very uh, complex dance between those three systems. And anyone you know who has autoimmune disease, hormonal problems, neurological disorders, which is a lot of people, uh, definitely pass the word on to them. It will be a fabulous show for them to listen to, very, very important information to hear. Um, So that's including, like, lupus, um, you know, MS, any any type of autoimmune diseases, any hormonal imbalances, neurological conditions like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, very important um, topic for them to listen to, they'll get a lot out of it, so check that out, that'll be next Tuesday night, but on to our guest for tonight. I'm very excited to uh, have this guest on the show. This was actually my professor for my dermatology class in naturopathic school. One of my favorite classes, I have to say. Um, very uh, awakening in the morning, like maybe I think it was like 8 o'clock in the morning, just waking up and seeing slides of like huge pictures of rashes and scabies and warts and all kinds of stuff. is definitely a great way to wake up. So, But it was a fabulous class. I really enjoyed it. Um, t- today we have Dr. Daniel DeLapp joining us. Uh, Dr. DeLapp is a chiropractic doctor, a naturopathic doctor, and a licensed acupuncturist. Uh, He currently works at the Columbia Integrative Care. That is a clinic at the University of Western States. He has over 25 years of clinical experience. He's also a professor at at my school, National College of Natural Medicine, um, and the um, Oregon College of Oriental Medicine, and he teaches dermatology and structural diagnosis. So he definitely gets around in his... uh, education there. And when, let's see here, Dr. DeLapp has the pleasure of sharing his clinical experience in an intern mentor model of care. He uses therapies like manipulation, massage, nutritional and herbal remedies, physical rehab and lifestyle modifications. And when appropriate, prescription pharmaceuticals, minor surgery and acupuncture are also used. Dr. DeLapp has a strong core belief that if the body, if it's properly nourished with food, water, air and exercise, it will maintain its inherent ability to heal itself, restore health, and ward off disease. Dr. DeLapp attempts to practice what he preaches by living and raising his family of three kids on a 24-acre organic farm with a large vegetable garden, fruit and nuts trees, berries, grapes, grass-fed beef, free-range chicken, and fish. Definitely a man after my own heart. Dr. DeLap, are you here with us today? Are you joining I us I am. Here? Good evening. Fabulous. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah.
1: It's great to have you. So I know a little bit about your uh, your story from being my professor and kinda of hearing about you know, it's it's funny because a lot of times what we specialize in as doctors is things that we dealt with ourselves. So exactly. tell us for, for our listeners, what um what's your journey been like in choosing the career you did and with the specialty of dermatology?
2: Well, I actually started off at the University of California, Davis as a plant science genetics major and um during that time, I had acne, like a lot of teenagers, um, and mine was a moderate to severe case. And, and in the search for trying to find options for that, I found nutrition, and I ended up switching my major to nutrition and biochemistry, and uh, dealt with uh, was able to see some major changes with uh, lifestyle changes and nutrition, uh, which wasn't uh, standard of care, and it still isn't standard of care. But it was uh, since that time, I've had the experience with hundreds and hundreds of uh, teenagers to have success by changing lifestyle.
1: Wow, that's awesome. You know, I, I have a very similar um, story. I had really, really bad acne back in high school, and so I really identified with your story when you were sharing that. Um, I think it was the, the opening class that we had for dermatology, and I was like, wow, that's totally what got me into dermatology too because that's a large focus for me as well. And, um, and you know, it, it's so interesting how medical doctors, um, at least then, this was 15 years ago for me, they did, they said that there's absolutely no connection whatsoever with, your diet and your skin. Right. Are doctors still saying that? I mean, I've been in the, obviously the holistic realm for a while, but I mean, I'm sure yes, you deal are. with dermatologists. They're still saying that.
2: Unfortunately, the, the current textbooks, the, the last edition of all the derm books, still say there's no correlation between diet and, and uh, acne, which is finally now being proven differently. Uh, someone actually put some money into a study in about 2007. Mm-hmm. That put people on a low glycemic index diet, and uh, they saw amazing results after a month. They continued a the second month and saw even better results, and the third month, uh, fabulous results. And so that was the first time it was actually identified, uh, but there's no money in, in diet, and so it was actually sponsored by the meat industry in Australia. And it was very well-run double-blind study, so the practitioners didn't know who was on the diet and who wasn't, and they tracked them with photographs and showed a, a drastic improvement compared to the standard diet that the kids are on. Uh, now, the diet is, like I heard you mentioning, the Paleolithic diet. It's pretty similar to that. It's a very high-protein diet. It could be as much as a pound and a half a day of uh, uh, meat or fish for a teenager <laughs> to be on that kind of diet. About 25% of their calories come from protein. Hmm.
1: Interesting. And so, so they, exactly they, they cut protein. out the sugars, and that's that's what they found and was... They
2: cut, out, they cut out all the carbohydrates. Like the caveman diet, there is basically lots of vegetables, lots of fruit,
1: mm-hmm. uh, wild
2: game, fish, and um, and, and meat, and so there's no, there's no cereals, no grains, no dairy. Um, it's like a caveman-type diet. And uh, that's the kind of diet that I've used with patients for over 25 years and with great results.
1: The challenge is getting a
2: teenager to change, and that, that's hard to do.
1: Right, right, absolutely. Um, Every
2: corner being a fast food
1: yeah, yeah, seriously. And it's so it's so amazing because, you know, the food guide pyramid, I mean, what's the, the biggest group in the food guide pyramid is, like, grains, right? And it's like yeah. that's what that's what made me break out. I remember waking up in high school and having, like, three bowls oh, yeah. of cereal. I was a total carbitarian, and my skin was awful, you know. And once I cut out the grains and really stuck to just real food, my skin cleared up, and my skin looks awesome now, and it's totally diet-related. It so, yeah.
2: Within two weeks, you'll see changes with the patient, Um and just you know, talking to a patient and educating them on to their to their what what they want, anywhere from a few ounces to you know eight ounces of uh, you know, chicken breast or something like that for a meal, and eggs and fish and and lots and lots of vegetables. That's the, the key is lots of green vegetables and uh, fruit, and keeping a low glycemic so there's no spike in blood sugar. It's the spike in blood sugar that seems to be the trigger for uh, a lot of increased oil production in our skin and also the oil that tends to be inflammatory, that the, the bacteria that live on the skin eat up, and then they cause inflammation.
1: Got it. Um, so what, what are some of the, you, you mentioned the low glycemic, what are some of the low glycemic um, fruits that people can have?
2: Uh, most berries, uh, blueberries, strawberries, um, raspberries, all very low glycemic. Peaches are very low glycemic. Uh, The goal with any kind of fruit uh, with a caveman-type diet or when you're trying to work with insulin control and not to have any spike is to have it after you've had a protein or fatty-type meal. So have it as a dessert. Um, Don't try not to eat the fruit, and definitely don't do fruit juices. Uh, Even an orange, by itself eating slowly, will not spike our blood sugar. It keeps it at a fairly steady level. But having orange juice spikes it. A carrot is not a problem. It's a good food, but you have carrot juice, and instantly you get a big influx of sugar into your system, and that spikes your blood sugar which also causes the trigger in uh, insulin and makes you secrete more oil through your skin. And so those are the things you want to be aware of, even, you know, it seems like a healthy food, apple juice or orange juice, not so for a, a teenager that's dealing with acne. It'll spike blood sugar and stimulate uh, acne production.
1: Got it. It's <laughs> just so funny because, like, the, the meals that that really makes a person break out is all that teenagers eat, you know, and it's like they go to their dermatologist, they get put on acne medication, and it just creates this cycle for a long, long time, and it's just really unfortunate.
2: Yeah, and it's and I see numerous uh, teenagers that come to me after two or three rounds of antibiotics, and that you know they, it works for the time they're on it, but as soon as they're off it, the acne comes back. The problem is that it's it's uh, the bacteria on your skin is a bacteria that's normal. It should be there, and it's the same bacteria on our skin as in a teenager's skin. The the different difference is that in a teenager, their skin is creating a lot more oil during that transition of life, and they're eating a lot of junk, and that junk is inflammatory in nature. Uh, Just like having uh, a corn-fed beef is inflammatory, as compared to a grass-fed beef, the grass-fed beef is less inflammatory and is going to actually not cause uh, skin inflammation. And so, um, when you're dealing with um, teenagers that are living off of pastries and pasta and and quick, uh, simple foods, uh, they tend to secrete a lot more oil, and the oil tends to be inflammatory, and that feeds the normal bacteria. So, if you use antibiotics, you kill off that bacteria temporarily, and it stops the acne. But as soon as you stop the antibiotic, the the bacteria comes back, and the normal bacteria comes back, and the inflammation starts over again, and the whole cycle continues.
1: Right, and then they get all the side effects of being on the antibiotics, like throwing off their gut flora and affecting their and immune it, system and, and on and on and on. And the, and then,
2: uh, yeah, allergies, yep. Yeah.
1: yeah, so while we're on the topic of acne, besides changing diet, um, what have you found in your practice um, that can positively affect acne?
2: Well, if they're able to do any kind of uh, sunlight therapy, uh, starting with a low amount, so you don't get sunburned, never get sunburned, but even just starting with 5, 10 minutes a day, that helps in almost like it toughens the skin up a little bit, um, increases our vitamin D content of our body, and that also helps with hormone control. And so build that up to 15, 20 minutes a day of sunlight, so you actually build up a natural vitamin D status. Um there are you can supplement with actually omega three fatty acids. There's decent studies that have been out in the last couple of years and uh, journals, refereed journals that omega three fatty acids also help decrease inflammatory oils. So we it's okay to have oily skin and people that do have oily skin tend to have more acne. But if you can make that oil that's not inflammatory, it will not cause it will not cause swelling to the skin. And so uh you can supplement with omega three fatty acid. Uh the best thing is by far is diet. That's the best option. Uh People, you know, unfortunately, one of the first choices they get from dermatologists is a very strong medication called Accutane, and that has a lot of side effects, permanent side effects. It can stop your oil production or life. You know, some people can't wear contacts after that because it makes their eyes drop. And so there are side effects that you need to be aware of, and also with the women, birth defects. And so the standard of care is to put a, a woman on birth control with her on Accutane just because of the major concern of has a birth defects.
1: Yeah, I was on Accutane twice in high school, and I can definitely um, say from personal experience that I still have dry eyes, and that was like 15 years ago. So, yeah. you know, and, and now the, isn't there research showing that it, it actually causes inflammatory bowel disease as well?
2: That's one of the yeah. It causes. Yeah. Uh, causes very, very dry skin. Can you still hear me, hear me okay?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, it, it causes an in- inflammatory dry skin during that time, which is a, like a very toxic high vitamin A dose. And that's, that's historically been used therapeutically even by nature paths, very high vitamin D because it suppresses oil production, but it's not the best route to go. There are other nutrients that will suppress it as well. A big one is probably zinc, and that inhibits an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase, and that will also reduce uh, oil production. And, and many teenagers are low in zinc, so sometimes that is helpful to add to their regime. But, again, it's not, not the best option. It's just a nice uh, way to help control some of the excess oil being produced.
1: Right. It doesn't take away from the, the basics of really just eat real no. food. You know, don't have inflammation yeah. in your diet. Um, can't really get around that, right?
2: <laughs> right. Now, I mentioned in, in class, I often tell the story of the way I first started. the uh, My health regime was on a fast. Now, I don't usually recommend fasting for acne patients, uh, but I ended up doing a fast because my brother was just starting a chiropractic college at the time and, and recommended that, and I did a 10-day fast. And during that fast... Uh, you actually secrete a lot of junk through your skin. Your skin's your the largest organ of elimination. And so during that time, for the first seven days of the fast of just drinking water only, actually, started to get, actually got worse during that time. And it wasn't until the seventh day that I started to suddenly not have any pimples in the morning. And for the next few days, I didn't have any more acne. And that was the first time in two years without any pimples. I used to have at least 20 a day that I used to pop. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that was a major change. So that's a, a method of detoxification is fasting, but it's, uh, it really depends on how much junk you have in your body. I've had patients go as much as 21 days before they had stopping of the acne. That's a long time. That's in a controlled setting in a clinic in Northern California that um, I sent people to to uh, do this. Uh, but you can do sauna. You can do things that make you help you sweat and actually detoxify your skin. Sometimes do other colonics and even the chelation therapy can help pull up some of the toxins in your body because your <laughs> skin helps organ elimination. The kidney. Is um, and so it's, its its job is to constantly purify our system.
1: Got it. So a lot of the different acne um, treatments that people buy, you know, Walgreens and Rite Aid and all that stuff, like doing the different, um, like, acne scrubs and everything, isn't that just worsening the problem?
2: Well, it's it's a, a temporary uh, Band-Aid. The number one is probably something that has benzoyl peroxide, and that's the number one over the counter. And it basically kills the bacteria. But, again, that bacteria is just normal flora; It should be on your skin. Um stopping that. If you don't have any bacteria, there's there's nothing to eat the oil that you're secreting, and so there's no inflammatory reaction. So you can stop the cycle, but it's not really addressing it. As soon as you go off the benzoyl peroxide, until your skin cheers or hardens so that you no longer are reactive to the uh, oily uh, inflammatory response of the bacteria, it's just a temporary Band-Aid. Um, and so, you know, topical antibiotics, oil antibiotics, benzoyl peroxide, uh, even... Uh, Estrogens and birth controls—they will change our natural production of uh, oils for our skin. But they're not—not not, the problem is that it's the abnormal oil of are secreting because of the food. Unfortunately, the high fast foods, simple cereals. Uh, if, if we can get teenagers to have solid protein with good solid vegetables, vegetables, kale, chard, uh, things that have lettuce, they're going to have. inflammatory reaction to our skin.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, so are, Dopp,
1: can you hear me okay? I feel like my line is breaking up a little bit.
2: A uh, little bit, yeah. I'm, I still hear you.
1: Okay, great, great, great. I was just hoping that we weren't having issues. Sometimes, you know, live radio gets a little crazy. <laughs> um, I want to take a – oh, actually, I didn't even mention for the listeners what the, the dial-in number is. It's uh, 818-495-6919, 818-495-6919. We're talking to Dr. DeLapp, all about dermatology and natural medicine. Um, I'm going to actually take a caller, someone who's been very patiently waiting on the line. This is uh, the caller from the 206. Caller, are you there? Uh, yeah, hi. Hi. What's your name and where
0: are you calling from? Uh, my name is Lindsay, and I'm actually calling from Miami, Florida. Oh, hi, hi Lindsay. You Thanks for
1: calling in. What's your
3: question? <laughs>
0: um, well, I am really curious. Um About the subject you guys are talking about tonight, I suffer from hypothyroidism and um, Mm -hmm. polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, both of which have kind of wreaked havoc on my skin. Um, I'm 26. I didn't have any acne when I was in high school, um, but for the past five years, it's just been getting worse and worse. Um, Mm -hmm. I've tried some topical treatments, and nothing has helped. Um, and I'm kind of one of those people that I really prefer natural medicine, so I'm kind of, like, anti-pharmaceutical, so I haven't taken any medication for it, and I eat really clean. I'm on a very restrictive diet, Um, Mm -hmm. and at the beginning of the show, you guys had mentioned that eliminating grains um, Mm -hmm. could help contribute to clearing up acne. I don't eat gluten but I Mm -hmm. do consume some gluten-free grains. Do you think even those gluten-free grains would be contributing to my acne?
2: Uh, It is possible. Um, Are you um, eating solid proteins, whether it be a vegan or uh, fish or animal protein as well?
0: I do. Um, I don't digest animal protein very well, so I am kind of trying to reduce the amount. I don't eat much, though. Um, Mm -hmm. I I get a ton of protein. I average anywhere from 70 to 100 grams of protein a day Um, because, you know, I I am trying to lose weight, and it's very difficult with these two conditions. Um, So I've been tweaking my diet a lot, and I feel like, I mean, I work with a personal trainer, and she joked, she said, the, the worst thing I eat is Greek yogurt. I mean, she couldn't pick apart anything in my diet. Like, I'm really focused on just, you know, clean, minimally processed or no processed foods, very low sugar, very high fiber. You know, I, I feel like I've got it all in perspective, but I'm still not seeing really much weight loss at all, and my skin isn't clearing up whatsoever.
2: Okay. I know you live in Florida. Are you getting much sun exposure?
0: Um. Yeah, not too much. I'm a full-time student, so I don't get to be outdoors as much as I like. But
2: Do, you, mean, have a, do you have a chance or have you ever had your vitamin D checked? I this have whole, not. Poly, polycystic ovaries, one of the things that is helpful is a, a vitamin D high level. And there are people that genetically don't uh, make vitamin D well, even from sun exposure, and so they need to take it orally. And that may be something worthwhile to actually get your vitamin D level checked. Uh, I know in the okay. Northwest there's probably two-thirds of our patient base is actually sufficient or very deficient in vitamin D, which is a big factor for a polycystic ovary. And then that can also help normalize your hormones uh, because vitamin D is a, is a very, very powerful hormone in our body to help normalize estrogens and testosterone. And so that's something that I would highly encourage.
3: Okay.
2: Uh, and that may help normalize some of the natural uh, patterns in your body. Another therapy I didn't mention before is hot and cold contrast. That's a, a, a very important therapy that I have patients do, and that is go back and forth with get, uh, two buckets of water, one with ice water and one with uh, hot water as hot as you can take without burning yourself. Put washcloth in each one of them, and go three minutes of hot on, washcloth on your face so it makes your face nice and rosy red, brings a lot of fresh blood, a lot of white blood cells to your skin, and helps clean out the area. And then go immediately from the hot washcloth to one minute of cold, ice cold, and go back and forth two or three times with that, and if possible, if you can do it twice a day, even better. And that helps uh, okay. pull the minute the junk out of your skin, and also helps um, bring white blood cells to the area, clean the area out. Um, I wouldn't recommend soap. Soap is not something that it actually dries the skin, it makes the skin a little more irritated, and actually may cause the, the pores to actually narrow down a little bit more. Um, so that may be. I don't know if you're using soap because it tends to dry your skin out and actually triggers more of an issue with some acne patients. And that may be right. your case as well. Okay. Uh the um you sound like you're you're doing a pretty decent job diet wise. I would consider um possibly uh I hesitate with over the phone, but even digestive enzymes and trying to find access to good quality, clean protein like wild salmon if possible, or um, grass-fed beef, and something to help you digest that better so you keep a a good steady, even kill of blood sugar. The grains that you're doing may still trigger it. I don't know. Wheat is definitely a very common uh, trigger for patients, but it may be the grain itself that is triggering a little bit of glycemic uh, spike for you. Are you doing any kind of juices, carrot juice, apple juice, orange juice?
0: Um, I don't just because I, I mean I love fruits and vegetables as it is. Um, I just feel like um you know, I feel like it's better to get it in its whole Good. form, it, it, especially because when saying. you juice it you can get kinda of carried away. You want, you know, like exactly. sixteen ounces of juice or something and the sugar content in that is just through the roof.
2: Exactly. So I'm saying, I, you don't want to you don't want to juice. It it's spiked sugar, yeah. so you want to have the whole orange, the whole apple. Try to get some uh, variety of berries in there as well. And I would encourage you to try to eat that at the end of a meal after you've had some good solid complex carbohydrates or some uh, nutty, like even nuts. Do, can, can you eat nuts, seeds, yeah. almonds, uh, pecans, things like that? Because the oil in there is also a very good oil. Now, if you have a, a little excess tissue right now, fat tissue, you're going to be breaking that down. Now, that that uh, oil in your skin is actually, unfortunately, it holds a lot of toxins. And that's one of the concerns when you are losing weight real fast. Your body's going to no- mobilize that fat, and it's going to try to secrete it through the skin. And so um, that may be a factor as well, because that that um, your body is trying to eliminate that oil. And the fat cell seems to almost protect our body against mercury and pesticides and everything else. And so um, that's where a sauna may become helpful to help you sweat some, uh, things out as well.
1: Okay. Do you have any follow-up questions? Um, Well, I was
0: just curious about acne scarring because I do have a problem with that, and I know, like, I've been looking into some of the IPL photo facials because I know that Mm -hmm. that can kind of help restore skin tone. You know, I just, I mean,
2: women are are already
0: so insecure about so many things, and I'm doing everything I can to lose weight, and that's, you know, a challenge in itself, but I do feel like if I could clear up my skin, that would... Like, make my world so much better. So, you know, figuring out what I can do to attack the active acne is one thing, but then even that I've got acne scarring, which is a whole other problem.
2: Yeah, uh, during uh, we don't usually work with the scars much when you're still actively fighting the acne. Uh, Afterwards, there are different therapies that can be used, uh, laser-type therapies or... um, uh, photodynamic therapy, which is a compound you actually apply to the skin and then apply a, kind of a blue light to that will slough off that top layer um, and help with scarring as well. Um, so those are some options. Uh, right now I'd, I'd probably gear more towards the hot and cold contrast, trying to really uh, hyper bring a lot of blood flow to your skin to help it naturally cleanse
1: it. Okay. Yeah, and you wouldn't want Thank to irritate you. the skin too by doing too many treatments on it until you can you know, get it cleared up first you know right yeah
2: yeah well thank so I would you recommend so getting much that vitamin D. you're welcome my pleasure
1: <laughs> thanks for calling in appreciate it thanks. all right all right here my my switchboard is so funny tonight sometimes it works really well and other days it just is like really funky and this is a funky night but it's all good Technology. um Let's move on to some other skin conditions. I have a whole list right. here. I'd love to just rattle All off right. and have some uh, Facebook and some Twitter questions, too. So, next off, psoriasis. What's going on with All psoriasis, right. and what can natural medicine offer for that?
2: Well, that's actually one of the ones that the vitamin D is also very important from. Clear back in the Egyptian times, they, they noted that uh, people that were deficient with uh, vitamin D uh, would tend to have a flare up more of psoriasis than, than not. And uh, unfortunately, psoriasis is a. It has a genetic tendency, and so there are definitely genetic markers that have been identified. And so, if you have uh, both parents have psoriasis, there's a 40% chance that that child's going to have psoriasis. Uh, it makes it a little bit harder to go into remission. But uh, again, if you can harden the skin and sun exposure, uh, that used to be the main therapy for dermatologists was actually UVA and UVB lamps in their office to actually boost vitamin D and harden the skin. And with that, they would have a, a compound called soylin to, uh, to to stimulate to reduce the lesions on the body. Now, psoriasis lesions tend to be where there's a lot of stress and trauma, like on our elbows. We put our elbows down a lot where we sit. There tends to be on the gluteal area, on the knees. It tends to be on the feet. Uh, so trauma is a factor as well. So you want to try to avoid things that trigger uh, trauma to the skin if possible. Okay. Uh, Diet, again, now that's one of the studies that had been done where uh, uh, not many studies have been done with diet alone. Uh, One was done with a vegan diet, and it showed an amazing uh, remission of people that had a low-protein diet. And so when someone has poor digestion, uh, that may be a factor with psoriasis in that it tends to uh, leave a lot of undigested food in in our gut, and then our bacteria eat that up, and their byproducts tend to be inflammatory. So having a higher fiber diet seems to be helpful, and uh, uh, digestive aids can be helpful as well for for psoriasis.
3: All right.
1: How about um, uh, rosacea?
2: Rosacea, um, that's one that tends to come on a little bit uh, later in life. It tends to affect the face mostly. Um, It also has to do uh, with uh, an imbalance in the skin flora, so the main therapy there is probably using uh, topical agents that actually kill off uh, a microbe or uh, even a mite on the skin. Um, you can help normalize that by um, what we use mainly are probably going to be B vitamins. And uh, sometimes if people tend to be like 40 or 50 years of age, they're actually low HCL. So I may actually put them on an HCL, uh, a slow tapered dose of HCL, trying to help them digest food better. And that can be uh, helpful to reduce their imbalance. Probiotics are also going to be helpful. Um, otherwise, um, I've had patients on low-level antibiotics for 25 years with rosacea because it keeps it in check just by keeping the, the flora on the skin very low-key. And so um, it's, it's one that topical agents can be helpful, and there are compounds that are extracts of, uh, of rye pollen, azelaic acid creams, and metronidazole is a classical one that's just a flagell compound that actually kills off the flora, that's abnormal on the on the skin that uh, may trigger rosacea.
1: Hmm, but it, but but does it come back after stopping the the treatment?
2: Yeah, the goal is again diet, and there's again mm-hmm. that anti-inflammatory diet, something with a lot of fruit and vegetables, uh, good solid, uh, low glycemic foods. Uh, there are normal tr- there are triggers that have been very well identified: hot hot liquids, spicy foods, uh, alcohol. Um, even some B vitamins, especially and that make you flush, can flare that up as well. If someone's eating food that they're sensitive to, it could be wheat, it could be dairy, it could be corn, then that's going to likely cause inflammation of the skin as well. So Mm -hmm. trying to put them on an allergy, it may be worthwhile to see if that uh, can be identified as a trigger.
1: Wow, it totally goes back to diet each time. It's amazing. It does. Um, It does.
2: That's directly related.
1: We are approaching uh, summer, obviously, and so for the uh, sun worshipers out there who want to continue to get their sunlight um, but don't want to, Harm their skin. Is there um, a certain type of sunscreen or sunblock that you recommend for these people?
2: Well, I would recommend them looking up into uh, on the web on the internet uh, uh, environmental working group, um, and they've actually done some very good studies on. There's probably close to 800 different types of sun protection agents out there, and they only identified 15% of them that were safe. The rest of them have so many uh, preservatives and fillers that our skin actually absorbs and actually potentially is, makes you is more toxic than not using it. And so, um, there's not any one particular brand I could recommend, but I would recommend if they're, they're interested just look up, proof uh, and,
3: okay. and
2: just plug in safe sunscreens and they'll plug up the ones that actually show that they're safe. Most that just have plain zinc oxide have the best ability to protect us from both UVA and UVB, uh, sunlight. The, um, the concern, even 20, 30 years ago, is that a lot of the sunscreens only block the UVB, and so the UVA went straight through. And that was actually potentially more hazardous to our health because UVA does it, goes a deeper penetration and does more cell damage. Um, so if people aren't able to, uh, don't have sunscreen with them, the safest thing is to wear a big hat, wide-brim hat, uh, clothing that's uh, fine-knit clothing to protect them from sun until their body is accommodated, until they can handle you know, more than 10, 15 minutes of sun exposure. Um, you know, this time of year, even, even 5, 10 minutes, if someone has a balance, they can get burned. So that's the first concern is to not get burned, because that damages our, our skin potentially long-term uh, genetically. And, mm-hmm. uh, but but if you build up a, a tolerance, you go from 5 minutes to 10 minutes, to 15 to 20, you know, to half an hour. We can do it safely, in my opinion, uh, and not cause genetic damage. Um, there's still no evidence that um, sun exposure by itself is related to basal cell cancer or by melanoma. Um, it seems to be more the sunburn, and the sunburn is the issue. If you get burnt, then you run a risk even 20, 30 years later of having issues with skin cancer. And so I recommend you stay out of the sun until you're used to it and start off with small doses. And if you have to be out in the sun, then try to get a safe sunscreen and look that up on the Environmental Working Group to pick one that's uh,
1: Wow. That. So if a person just has like a natural inclination to just tan and they never really burn, they really don't have too much to worry about. It's really those people who, who actually burn from the exposure, right?
2: Well, that seems to be what the evidence is right now. There's still lots of research being done, but usually you know, at least two significant sunburns before the age of 14 are directly related to an increase in rates of melanoma and, and cancers and, and squamous cell cancers. Um, there's there's a, People that are out in the sun daily and you get a, a standard dose have lower incidence of melanoma when they're out daily. It's the people that are weekend warriors, which is 90% of us. You avoid the sun all week and then you go out on the weekend and you get burnt. That right. person's at risk of sun cancer, skin cancer is the, uh, too much at one time. It has to be small doses to get your skin used to it. And, the, and it only takes about 15, 20 minutes to get enough vitamin D. But if you're not getting that sunlight, you're not going to have the vitamin D you need. And vitamin D actually prevents and decreases cancer rates, all types of cancer, whether it be colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and skin cancer, melanoma. So sun exposure increases vitamin D, which actually suppresses cancer rates. Uh, but too much, you have to damage skin and that's like
1: that. All right. But let's say a person, um, you know, overestimated or underestimated their skin's ability, I guess, to. Fight out, or, or you know to be protected from the the sun, and they do get a really bad burn. Um, what yeah. do you What are some things that at that, that point, once it's too late, what can they do?
2: Well, uh, cool compress, and if they have access to some decent aloe vera, that will help be quite soothing and may help decrease the chance of peeling and may um, may prevent you know some long-term damage. Uh, not really studied as far as long-term damage, but there is studies that it helps decrease the actual irritation from the burn and helps to speed up the healing process. And so that's protective for that effect um again back to diet if someone is eating lots of phytonutrients from vegetables and fruit uh their their chance of burning is going to be less and they're going to be also heal a lot faster so try to increase good food for the next few days afterwards and try to keep off the junk food and you'll also heal faster in general
1: got it all right, I'm going to um, just jump to a couple of these Facebook questions. And also for other people who want to call in, it's uh, 818-495-6919, it's 818-495-6919. We have open phone lines right now. This question is from uh, Kim. She is curious about ideas for dealing with toddler eczema naturally. She said her toddler is gluten-free and they use coconut oil topically, but um, it doesn't always work completely. So what are your thoughts on <laughs> toddler eczema?
2: Yes, uh, most likely, atopic dermatitis is probably the most common type of eczema that we run across. Um, there are actually probably at least 10 or 12 different types of eczema, but atopic is the most common. Now, unfortunately, atopic does have a genetic tendency. Um, oftentimes, the, the parents either have had a history of it themselves or they have asthma or hay fever. All those are uh, indicated with people that tend to have atopic dermatitis or eczema with kids. Uh, some of the best studies out there right now uh, deal with probiotics. So having both the mom on probiotics while she's nursing, having the mom take probiotics so acidophilus-type supplements while she's pregnant, and also when the toddler during that time have have been shown in good double-blind studies to decrease the incidence of eczema by half. So that alone seems to be a real important aspect. Uh, And so, you you know, because there are very tough cases of eczema that will not change that, but you can decrease that by building up a healthy gut flora. The belief is that it helps with the leaky gut phenomenon and it reduces sensitivities to food. The other, the other big nutrient that also does that, even even greater, is glutamine. A very low dose of glutamine uh, seems to help protect. The, the, the assumption is, is with leaky gut as well. Glutamine is an amino acid that um, is beneficial to uh, build up leaky gut, and that decreases incidence by, by I think probably eighty percent incidence of eczema. So I would encourage uh, probiotics and. And I'd also encourage uh, uh, glutamine supplement for that oh. as well.
1: I didn't know that about glutamine with uh, eczema, decreasing that by such a huge percent. That's amazing. Yeah.
2: Jeffrey Bland was one of the ones that first started to do that. He's a big-time nutritionist, PhD nutritionist, that's started putting into most of his uh, protein powders, a low dose of glutamine, Ultraclare Sustain and those kind of products. And now the studies are out that actually validate a lot of that, studies that he originally started with uh, to help de- decrease some of the leaky gut, one of the other issues with uh, eczema with children is there it is often associated with food sensitivities. Um, and that that is not a cause, but it triggers uh, that genetic tendency. And so the biggest foods involved are going to be wheat, dairy, uh, corn, citrus, strawberries, tomatoes. There's a, a top ten list of foods that are most common food sensitivities, and it may be one, maybe two of those. Uh, the challenge with a, a child that has it is that you have to put a kid on a very – a strict diet for two or three weeks to take them off the wheat, the dairy, the corn, the soy, and go on very similar to a caveman diet. And if you see improvement, then you try to add them back one at a time. Have eggs for a few days, see if their itchiness comes back or their eczema comes back, and that will help uh, identify a food trigger. Uh, Once you do identify a food trigger, the good news is that probably – oh, a quarter to a third of them will outgrow it. And so in a year's time, if they avoid that food, if they avoid dairy or eggs for a year, their body seems to mature, their gut seems to heal up, and they can go back to having dairy and wheat and corn, all those again. And of the major, of the minor foods, like maybe tomatoes or strawberries, probably two-thirds of them outgrow that as well. And so they go into remission, the, the vast majority of them.
1: All right, awesome. Hopefully Kim is listening, if she can hear that. Um what about something that pretty much most of us, probably all of us, most all of us deal with is these are moles. Um, when mm-hmm. should when should we get moles checked out and when is it something we don't really need to worry about?
2: Well, um if there's a family history of uh melanoma in the family, that's someone I would encourage them to get a baseline mole check. Because there is probably genetic tendency, possibly something to do with your ability to make uh, good vitamin D. So normal sun exposure, you get vitamin D, but some people don't convert it that well and don't get the vitamin D that helps suppress uh, cancer growth. Um, so if you have any mole on your body, it's good to keep track on that and uh, evaluate it. Now, we use a, a mnemonic uh, way to memorize uh, how to identify if something's changing, and it's called the ABCDE. If you'd like, I can go over those.
1: Sure, that's great.
2: A stands for asymmetry. So if you think of someone like a pie or a cake in front of you, if you cut that pie or cake in any, in half any direction, it, the other side should be a mirror image. Whenever you have a skin lesion that you can cut in half and the other side does not look like the opposite side, that's a red flag. That one should be evaluated potentially for uh, biopsy. That's the first step. So if you have a skin lesion that's asymmetrical, like A, then I would have it evaluated. That's, don't, don't mess around with it too long. The next one is B, and that stands for border, Border is irregular border. When something is very clean cut between the the mole and the skin and it's like a nice round lesion and it's very clean cut, that's not usually a big deal. But when it has irregular edges that bounce out and in, that's not a good, that's not a good thing at all. So that's border. And that if you have that, that should be removed or at least evaluated for a possible biopsy as well. So A is asymmetry, B is border. C stands for color. Now, a uniform color like all black, all brown, not that big a deal. But when you have shades of brown, black, red, blue, all in the same that's a big um, When you have multiple shades of one lead, that's a good one to get evaluated also. Um, so that's A was asymmetry, B is border, C stands for color, and D stands for diameter. The size on the eraser head for uh, is about six millimeters. If it's bigger than that, it's already a red flag, and that means it's uh, potentially one that needs to be looked at and potentially removed as well. You may have had a a, a mold you've had all your life, but if it's over 6 millimeters, it should be evaluated. And the last one is E, which can be uh, evolving or enlarging. So something that's changing. If you have a lesion that's changing or it starts to have a a sensitivity to it, it starts to burn or itch, that one also should be evaluated for potential removal and biopsy. And that's the safest way to go. At that point, um, if you're not... If you're not too sure, or you're a little, uh, want to be extra cautious, is to get a good digital camera, put a ruler next to it, take a picture of it, and then check it periodically to make sure it hasn't changed at all. Unfortunately, uh, melanomas can change very slowly or very rapidly, and if you don't, if you check it, you know a year later you go, hmm, looks about the same. But if you didn't take a picture of it, you won't remember. And so having a, there are some dermatologists. That that actually photograph people's their entire body and map it out for them, and they come in for you know, and they can check it out at home every every six months to just to make sure things aren't changing, and then you don't miss anything. If you catch it in time and get it off there, then it's not going to be any long term issue. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a great idea with the camera. I never thought of that, huh? Yeah. That makes make sense. Make sure you
2: put a make make sure you label the picture because you say what part of the body is that from? You can't
1: <laughs> right. There's, put there's, a
2: ruler there and put a, a little marker on it so you know what part of the body it's from, and a date.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the date too. All right. Um, I wanted to jump to something that is uh, very common for a lot of people, but also could have um, kind of like a sign for what could be going on deeper in the body. And this is skin tags. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. skin tags and what that could be telling people?
2: Well, uh, some of the initial thoughts that skin tag were related to potential skin polyps in the intestine. Uh, mixed reviews on some of the studies now, what that is, but it does seem to be a a factor for um, weight growth. So if you add weight on, it seems to trigger uh, increased stimulation of skin tags, usually around the armpit or groin or or neck. Um, So again, that same glycemic index is a possible trigger when you're taking foods that, like even Even things you think is a good food like corn juice or carrot juice that may spike blood sugar or just simple uh, pastries, they might spike blood sugar. That big spike tends to trigger growth on our skin, and and so that is something that we need to be aware of. Um, If if the skin tag itself is multiple color, it should be actually removed in biopsy to make sure it's not any kind of cancerous lesion, Uh, but the vast majority of them are benign and more of a nuisance that... uh, uh, need to be removed either by a physician that can do it for you or, you know, you, you potentially could do it yourself, but then you risk the, the risk of infection or not getting it off properly and then complications after that.
1: Hmm. Are there any, like, home home remedies to remove skin tags? I think you mentioned something like a piece of I, floss. Is that a, a good uh, one? or?
2: <laughs> uh, I I can mention some scary side effects of doing that. Uh, people <laughs> have done that before, and they come in to have me remove them afterwards. Uh, if, you don't, if you tie the floss down to the, on the skin tag, if you make it really tight, you'll, you'll get success. It'll actually strangulate the skin tag. and It'll fall off in a, anywhere from a week to three weeks because it, you have cut off its blood circulation. It dries up and falls off. The downside of that, if you don't tie that floss uh, hard enough, it has both uh, art, arterial blood and venous blood going through there. Now, the arterial blood is under a lot of pressure, and so if you don't tie it tight enough, the arterial blood still gets through, and it, the skin tag starts to enlarge, and pretty soon you have the size of a grape. And you have the size of a you know a large grape, and um, because it they, it can't get it back in because the venous blood is under less pressure, and so it builds up, and so people get these come in with these great big skin tags that they tried to strangulate, <laughs> and we have to remove them after that, and use some lidocaine and numb up, and then and cut it off and uh, cauterize it. Yeah. So it it can be done if you do it successfully. Um, the risk is you don't uh, do it tight enough, and you may get a secondary infection. So if at all possible have a physician looked at it and you know, yeah. have a bunch of them removed at one time.
1: Not the look that they're going for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This question is from Alicia, and she wants to know, um, what about treatments for tinea versicolor? Maybe could you explain yeah. a little bit of what that is and what, what are some treatments for that?
2: Yeah, tinea versicolor is, uh, uh, again, it's a, a microflip, it's a, a fungus that grows on everybody's skin. Uh, but it's a, a, there's an imbalance. For some reason, uh, someone that has tinea versicolor, that that uh, fungus overgrows, and it starts to. And the, the theories are that it either blocks the sunlight or blocks the pigmentation, uh, and so you get these either hypo-like uh, white spots or dark spots. You can go either one. It's called versicolor. It can be a dark or white. Um, that when I see this the most are people that are using lots of uh, soap on their skin, and especially antibiotic soap, because mm-hmm. antibiotic we naturally have. A uh, micro skin, we have a staph, which should be there, and we have a little bit of fungus, and it keeps it in balance, just like our gut flora has hundreds of billions of bacteria. It also has a little bit of yeast, has a little bit of fungus. And so when you take antibiotics, and a lot of women get yeast infections, and people get yeast infections when they take antibiotics. using so kills off that natural bacteria on your skin, which keeps the fungus in check take showers a couple times a day people working in the gym people that sweat a lot um and it's an opportunistic fungus it tends to when people have a again you'll see with people that are malnutrition have malnutrition people that are taking have on steroids for some reason um people that are using uh, various types of lotions or cosmetics that are uh, causing it to overgrow and so uh what you unfortunately the simplest therapy is one a prescription and that's a slam sulfide the same substance that's in, like, tegrin-medicated shampoo or Salsun Blue, and the selenium sulfide actually kills off that fungus, and then it allows it, the bacteria to regrow, and it normalizes the skin pH. Um, you can do it over-the-counter, but it's not as concentrated as the, the prescription dose. Uh, and, unfortunately, that uh, over-the-counter with a tegrin-medicated shampoo. So usually it's prescription dose that is the simplest, easiest route for patients to do. They put it on 10 minutes a day for seven days, and then mm-hmm. once a month for a few months to keep it in check. That's it. that's the easiest route. Yeah. There are now, appliances is pretty low. Uh, one right. therapy is vinegar, uh, straight uh, white vinegar, put it in a big towel or washcloth. put it on the back for 15 minutes, uh, a couple times a day, for three weeks, and that'll that pH will kill off the fungus and allow normal bacteria to regrow. Um, it will start to normalize the skin color in about a month. Uh, so people aren't aren't very. I have patients that do it, but not many because they smell like an Easter egg for about a month. Uh, but it is an effective therapy. It uses, it, you can do it on foot fungus on the feet. You know, you know, you can do it in general. Uh, vinegar will kill off fungus. Uh, you yeah. just have to do it for several weeks.
1: Got it. So it's kind of one of those things that with that condition is typically you know like the the pharmaceutical because it just works the best and compliance. That's the thing is like, you know, natural medicine is great, but if someone's not going to do it, you have to kind of use what is, you know, realistic too.
2: Yeah. And then go back to prevention because once you've had it once, the tendency for that same patient is to have it again and again. And so Mm -hmm. try to identify what were the triggers for that. Um, You know, like I said, the very common trigger, unfortunately, is um, antibiotic soap um, and foods that tend to be more high glycemic, so you tend to be secreting a lot more oils on your body that um, the the fungus likes to eat.
1: Mm -hmm. Got it. Now, there is
2: another old-time therapy that is, again, compliance is not that great, but it is actually in the literature more, and that's honey. Honey has a natural antifungal effect, has a natural antibiotic effect, and I do have people that use it on foot fungus now and again, but you pretty much have to cover your feet with raw honey uh, every night and put socks over it so you don't get all over the bed. That will kill off fungus. You can put that on your back as well or any kind of body. And that it also kills off fungus naturally. So there are natural therapies that have been used for thousands of years. But, uh, again, compliance is not very great, putting honey on your feet or your, your body. But it does—it it is an effective therapy.
1: Interesting. So for the toenail fungus, you you put it on, on the toes, cover your feet with socks.
2: Well, not not, not How, the toenail. The toenail. Not the toenail. It's actually the foot fungus. Toenails are a little tougher.
1: Oh, got it. Uh, okay.
2: Yeah, toenails, unfortunately, it's underneath the nail, and oftentimes uh, you have to use, a, well, I actually use a, a compound called DMSO, that I'll, mm-hmm. and I'll put a topical compound on top of the nail and put DMSO over it or mix the two together, and a compounding pharmacist will do that for me. And then I'll apply it to the nail, and it soaks through the nail and kills it directly there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you put a saturated iodine to free, I mean, with a DMSO
1: that pulls into the body. Dr. Duvall, you're kind of confused. breaking up. I, I can't hear oh. you very well, unfortunately. Oh. Oh. Sorry. I think reception is kind of funky. Can you hear me okay?
2: Uh, I can still hear you. It is a little bit breaking up. Yeah, um, it's
1: breaking up a little bit. Um, you mentioned the D, the DMSO, um, that you have to have the, the competing pharmacist, and then I, I didn't really hear the rest.
2: <laughs> well, you want to make sure that it's a, a pharmaceutical grade, because it's actually a, a solvent from uh, industry, but it's been mm-hmm. used in uh, veterinary medicine for a long time, and it, it pulls whatever whatever you have in that DMSO, it pulls into the body instantly, just very, very quickly. And so I'll have pharmacists actually mix uh, uh, fungicides like ketoconazole or fluconazole with the DMSO, and then I'll have apply, the patient apply it directly to the nails for for about five, about six weeks, because mm-hmm. it takes a while to kill it off. Um it's, it's a tougher one to get rid of. I've had people that also, rather than using that, they have me actually remove their toenails, mm-hmm. and then they soak their feet in vinegar for the next uh, six weeks, and the nail grows out without, and the fungus gets killed off that way. The hard part is it's underneath the nail, so it's a very tough one to get rid of. It usually it takes a, far, a strong pharmaceutical drug for several months orally. You have to take it orally, and it's not, it's not a healthy drug. It actually is toxic to the liver, and so there's side effects.
1: Wow, something just for the toenail. That's pretty intense.
3: Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's very actually
1: easier to, to, to address uh feet fungus versus toenail fungus yeah. because it is oh, yeah. underneath yeah. the toenail. Huh. Yeah. So let's say a person has counter. fungus on their on their toes and they want to uh you know use the honey, how often do they have to do that? Like or how long I guess I should say?
2: About three weeks. About three weeks. Every night for about three weeks. Um and that's you coat the area with honey and you know, put on some socks to hold it in place and um, it'll start to normalize it. it. It 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 seems to to kill off the fungus as well as normalize the skin flora in general.
1: Wow, that is so cool. Awesome. I want to take a caller here. This is a caller from the five 50... zero. Hold on one second. Okay, the caller from the 508, are you there?
3: I'm here. Is this Lisa? It is. is. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. In. Hi. What's your Thank question you. for Dr. Dallap? Um, since you're talking about feet, I was wondering if there's any permanent way to cure corns.
2: Uh, Potentially, there's uh, the way you're walking may be an issue because it's usually a wear pattern on the foot and the shoe. That could be an issue. Um, Actually, you may need orthotics. You may actually need a wider uh, fourth part of the foot, a wider uh, where the foot sits on the top where the toes are. You may be rubbing the area there that's causing that abrasion of that corn. Once you have the corn, uh, there are little pads like Dr. Scholl's, little pads you can put around the corn, um, that can help decrease the irritation, and it may start to self-resolve a little bit, but sometimes they have to be actually removed before you uh, can start over again. But um, okay. you may want to have your gait anal- analyzed a little bit and see if you're having wear patterns. Is, it, is there one on both feet, on both locations? Yes,
3: yes yeah. same so location, both.
2: So there's probably a, a genetic tendency, and also potentially the shoes that you're using aren't quite fitting properly, and so it's causing an irritation to that location. Um also want to make sure it's not a plantar wart, and so um, what I have people do is actually squeeze it from the side, and if you pinch a, a, a wart from the side, it's going to be painful, and a corn will not be painful, um, So, and they're, they often can look similar at times, so you want to kind of identify that to see if it's not a wart, and then that needs to be treated also a little differently as well. You can well, if use... If it were a wart,
1: what would you do in that case, then, if it were a wart?
2: Uh, the simplest over-the-counter is probably going to be... Uh, uh, salicylic acid, which is a, a liquid form of aspirin, and it's usually going to be a concentrated form. They have, again, Doctor Scholes is probably the number one thing people use. They're little pads that are 40% salicylic acid, and they actually have them. little pads that you cut out to fit the wart, and uh, you change that every day or every other day, and it basically burns it down or eats it away. And Then you kind of you scrape away the dead portion and put a new one on. That has to be continued for a lot of plantar warts for four to six weeks, though, because after, before you're done.
3: And can a a wart have a hard center core like a corn would?
2: Uh, It it possibly can. A wart will also have little tiny uh, black or red dots in it sometimes. That's actually the little uh, blood vessels that are feeding the wart, so that gives you a clue. A corn, you're describing a little more of a corn with a hard core, though. Is it on that little toe?
3: No, it's on the ball of my foot.
2: Ball of the foot, okay. So, again, it's, it's probably a wear pattern um, that you may need to address, and you probably could put a pad around it to decrease the irritation there. They're like little circular pads that like uh, put, like, a cushion around it and protect it from being irritated, and it may slowly uh, reabsorb after a time, but you may need to have what's called a, a metatarsal pad um, to take the pressure off the, the forefoot a little bit, Um you yeah, have to see your feet to see what kind of pattern you have, but you may want to get your foot evaluated for uh, your gait analysis to see if there's any issues there.
3: Okay. I have one other question about eczema. About three years ago I developed a painful eczema on my fingers, and it goes away every summer. I was just wondering, since I have, it, I live in the northeast, um, would that be coming back due to lack of humidity or because of my poor circulation when it's colder?
2: Uh, when it when it started, was it between your fingers initially, like little tiny little bumps? Initially? No, it's, it's oh, at the oh,
3: tips oh. of my fingers, and it starts That's with a right. redness under the skin. Then it erupts, and it almost looks like a corn when it erupts.
2: Okay, and just on, the, on both hands.
3: Both hands, not on my thumbs ever, but on my fingers.
2: So there's there's a po- couple of possibilities. A fingertip fingertip eczema is is pretty common. Oftentimes, is associated with um, a contact dermatitis cell. So is it possible that time of year you're also in contact with any kind of chemicals or solvents or uh, substances that are irritants? Um, no,
3: just I think they're drier, doing dishes dryer. And that sort of thing, okay. but not
2: okay. Yeah. So, so dishpan hands that that would be an irritant dermatitis, and that's probably it's actually the number one type of eczema is uh, irritant contact dermatitis from washing with uh, basically detergent, and so the therapy for the hat, unfortunately, is in a dishwasher or someone else in the family do the dishes um, or wear some kind of uh, ideally either nitrile glove or something that protects you against that moisture. But when you do get your hands wet, you want to moisturize them with a, mo- a good moisturizing like Avena or something like that within one to three minutes. You have to trap in the moisture because water will dry out the skin and cause it to become more and more irritated. Um, and, and water is good. It hydrates your skin. But if you get your hands wet, it's just going to dry it out. And the more you wash your hands, the more you're going to have dry skin and, and continue that whole process. So the time of year can be a factor. Even in the wintertime it can be an issue because it's actually drier inside a house in the wintertime. And so it, it, people often have eczema often flare up in the wintertime. Um, and in the summertime it often goes away. So uh, it, it's potentially you were describing a little bit of contact, uh, irritant dermatitis, Um Dish pan hands, uh, moisturizing agents are going to be the safest thing to have in the kitchen or in the bathroom. So as soon as you wash your hands, within a minute, you moisturize it to trap in the moisture to keep it healthy so it won't crack. And again, going back to diet. diet's always a, a real important aspect of that. You want good quality oils. I encourage one or two ounces of good raw nuts a day, good quality uh, wild uh, fish and um, wild game, if possible, or grass-fed beef, so you'll have good quality oils that are anti-inflammatory or just that even... That I add. am doing. Good, awesome. good. Excellent. Okay.
3: Any other questions, Thank you. Said? No, that's it. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thanks so much right. for calling. All right. Good luck, Lisa. People can uh, get grass-fed beef from you.
1: <laughs> Do you shift your grass-fed beef, or is it just for uh, people <laughs> no, around yeah, you?
2: No. I just have a, a few we, we process every year. And I, just, I have like 20 head, and so I just... Not enough to go around, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome,
1: though. I love that. I would love to have that yeah. for myself one day, for sure. Trader, Trader um,
2: Joe's usually. Has, Trader Joe's is one of the few places I've seen that actually carry grass-fed beef. Unfortunately, the FDA still requires uh, farmers to corn feed their beef the last two months before they're sent to the slaughterhouse, and that two months destroys the animal. I mean, it just they gain like two hundred, three hundred pounds, and the weight they put on is a lot of fat, and it's all omega six and omega nine, which is not which is inflammatory. Why would why would the free.
1: FDA require that? That doesn't make any sense to me.
2: Uh, money, probably. I'm guessing yeah. someone got their foot in the door oh. and and just and so you know even places that are organic food stores. If it's USDA, they're they started off as grass fed. The last couple of months they're in a feed lot and they're mm-hmm. putting on tons of weight in that feed lot. Wow. It, it's just it's money. It, you can turn a beef within a year and a half get a full grown beef when when my beef take three years to get to the same size. Really, a lot yep,,
1: ah, I bet they're awesome though, <laughs> actually, I think I remember some students that might have had some of your beef in school. I can't remember I think they're saying that was from your farm, maybe yep
2: yep yep I that. occasionally
1: okay. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh go a little bit over um I have just a couple more Facebook questions one of them is a, is about cold sores and um uh, herpes mm-hmm. outbreaks. what are mm-hmm. some um natural prevention and treatment options for um, that particular virus that causes those.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, stress is probably the biggest trigger. And so, whatever causes stress, whether it be you know going skiing and get your little bit of a sunburn, that can trigger an outbreak, uh, a, a herpetic outbreak. Stress, testing, stress of life in general can trigger an outbreak. Stress also of food sensitivities can be an outbreak. If you're sensitive to certain uh, like eggs or, or wheat or corn. Or and you're eating those you'll, you'll allow that to be triggered out, inflammatory products as well. And so trying to identify your trigger is going to be probably one of the most important things to do. Um, it is um, the, some natural therapies to help take care of that. Uh, the, probably the best one that's actually been identified in the last probably four or five years because someone put some money into it is honey. Honey, again, has a natural antiviral effect, and it dries up the lesions, so uh, even faster than the allopathic acyclovir. Uh, just putting little dabs of honey. Now, if you can handle not going out in public or have a little honey on your, your face or even the groin if it's in a, a genital herpes kind of thing, it dries up the lesions a lot faster, and that's where the success comes in, in that it uh, clears up that that uh, lesion probably half the time. Uh, that's probably the best success I've seen. Aloe vera also, and um, sage does it a little bit. There are some studies with uh, Melissa, but not as good. Uh Oops, you still there?
1: Yeah, 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 I'm still here.
2: Mhm. Something's beeping my my phone battery maybe dying as well. Oh, okay. But uh, the best study I've seen is probably going to be with um with uh, with Honey.
1: Okay, awesome. And also, I can also just say from experience with my um, my grandpa, he had um, a cold sore. Hopefully, he doesn't mind me telling people this, but maybe he probably won't listen anyway. (laughs) Hey, grandpa. (laughs) uh, Hey, grandpa. Um, Anyway, my grandpa's cold sore. Uh, He had a a cold sore on his on his lip, and I was remembering that the properties of licorice being very antiviral, and I said, "Hey, go boil up some licorice root and." um, you know, I, I went and bought him some from the health food store, and we boiled it up, and he just dabbed that on his on his um on the cold sore, and it was gone the next day. It was amazing how fast yes. the licorice worked. So there's a yeah, very awesome antiviral. Well. Yeah, looks like a charm. Um, okay, I have like a few more questions, and I'll let you go because I know that we're kind oh, of thanks. running up on time now. Um, Let's see here. I, I remember in Dr. Mars, um, his nutrition class, he was talking about like mm-hmm. the nutrition, the nutritional um physical. So you can look at somebody and based on different things that you see in the physical exam, kind of like how their nutritional status is. So I just want to go over like just a couple things that he mentioned and mm-hmm. like what what you see that as being the case for patients. So like one thing, right. the bumps on the back of the arms or on the legs, that's really common. And what, what could be causing that?
2: Well, the the current thought is that it the people that have a tough time converting uh, the beta carotene to a good vitamin A may be a poor conversion of nutrients. And so, um, increasing the vitamin A in your diet or vitamin uh, rich foods, phytonutrients with beta carotene may be helpful. It's not an infection, it's uh, a um I mean, uh, uh, keratosis polaris, excuse me, keratosis polaris, can either be on the back of the arms or on the thighs. Um, isn't it's, a, it's not an easy one to get rid of, but people will see improvement as they improve their diet and improve the con, uh, quality and, con, and content of uh, probably beta-carotene-type foods because it seems to be a poor conversion, and you get a blockage of the, the duck itself with keratin. Uh, hmm. But it's not an infection. It's, it's something that is simple. Uh, I see a genetic tendency towards that as well.
1: Okay. And what about, like, white spots on the nails?
2: Well, that potentially can be trauma, but also can be a lysine deficiency, um, nails itself that you have to be aware of that, um, that may be a deficiency in or even uh, like splinter images can be an issue. But the biggest one is probably going to be zinc when I see that, people that are deficient in
1: zinc. Zinc and, deficiency? Okay. Yeah. Got it. And then um, just two more things. So dark circles under the eyes, so incredibly common. Um, what, what, what could be going on with those?
2: Well, again, genetics is a big factor there, um, but... Um, there enough if it's if it's something's new like it's come on like a, like a melasma or colasma which is a, a, like an actual patch for people that are women that have been pregnant that mm-hmm. maybe are hormonal changes that can be a, a factor there um so working on trying to balance out hormones may be a factor um, other than that, I'm not thinking of anything that can be
1: uh yeah it's pretty much just like a genetic, genetic. thing,
2: yeah, yeah a lot of it is unfortunately.
1: Mm-hmm. I did notice that when I went on a fast myself, my, my, my dark circles got lighter, so maybe potentially, like, food sensitivities, inflammation,
2: mm-hmm. you know. Inflammation maybe in general like, may be a factor.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then the very last question I want to ask you, this is Bobby. He was curious about, um, he's really into Ayurvedic medicine, and he's just curious, um, did, do you have any experience with Ayurvedic medicine, like, just talking about, like, the um, the qualities of foods and that, that effect on, on the skin, like, you know, with looking at inflammation or heat and the different effects of...
2: Limited, the limit, the different type of body types and stuff. Um, I yeah. believe that people definitely have different genetic uh, biochemical individuality. And so uh, some people do better with hot food. Some people do it better with cold food and So I think a lot that, you know, trying to eat watermelon in the dead of winter tends to throat. People get cold. It's just too cold a food. And mm-hmm. so try and identify the time of year and the type of food that is gonna balance you out you know soups are better in the winter time and and fresh fruits are better in the summertime Mm -hmm. uh, it seems to be a natural tendency to balance out our hot and cold in our body which is a lot of where the pitta and kapha of ayurvedic medicine come in Uh, and Chinese medicine in the cold are also involved there Um, people genetically some people do better on a very high protein diet and some people do better on a low protein diet and the only way to really know that is to test it out on yourself, see how you feel after having a meal. Do you feel satisfied? Or are you craving sugar afterwards? Are you falling asleep afterwards? And you may need to balance that out with the level of fat and protein in your diet accordingly. And so, you know, I have people start off with an average and see how they do it. If they, they feel good and satisfied with a the meal, they're on the, they've are they hit it off right off the bat. But some people, uh, like teenagers, may need, you know, Five or six or eight ounces of uh, a solid protein to feel satisfied. Otherwise, they're binging and craving every other else afterwards. And so, you can have to find where your balance is uh, with your own type, your
1: own body type. And mm-hmm. you
2: know, everybody's a little yeah. bit different.
1: Listen to your body. Your body knows best. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs>
1: um Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Delap. Is there anything any parting words you'd like to leave with our listeners before I let you go?
2: Lots of fruit and vegetables. <laughs>
1: Very, very well said. <laughs> Thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. You have a really great night. And, and actually, where can um, where can listeners learn more about you?
2: Uh, learn more about me. Uh, yeah, like
1: website. I work, I, work
2: they, at the, I work at the University of Western States in uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, right. at a clinic there. Um,
1: so if they're I local, they email. can come in and see you um, there as well. Like, if they're yeah. uh, local to see you as a patient at, at Western sure. States, correct? Right? Awesome. Yes. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much again. Have a great night. All right. Take care. All right. Bye bye. That's the show, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for all the questions, Um, Lisa and Lindsay, for calling in, and the Facebook questions from Kim, Bobby, uh, Alicia, Georgiana, Jessica. I really appreciate all the support. Great show. I I love learning about dermatology. And it's just so interesting, again, to take it back of how much nutrition affects our skin when, you know, conventional medicine really says there's no connection whatsoever. So we know differently, eat real food, take care of your body, and your skin will be clear as as an awesome side effect. So. Again, next week's show, Dr. Michael Pierce, he will be on Tuesday night at 5 p.m. We'll be talking all about the neuroendocrine immune axis, the connection with your neurology, your immune system, and your hormones. So anybody you know with any autoimmune diseases, hormonal imbalances, neurological conditions, tune in. It will be a very fabulous show. Thanks again for tuning in. My uh, website, DrLaurenNoel.com, and I will check you guys next week. Thanks so much. Bye.
0: you uh-huh